let me begin this morning by telling you a story. It is about the, the eloquence of my speech, and I trust you will be impressed. Uh, two years ago, one of Noah's friends had a birthday party. Now, usually at these parties, it's the moms who go, uh, unless there's family that are at the party as well. But we often go as a family, and, and there might be one other dad there. But for this party, Marcy and Shia were sick, and so I took Noah by myself. Now, I know the culture uh, and how important these celebrations are. I know how easily people can get offended and hurt if you don't come when invited or whatever, whatever the, the reason is. And so I wanted to rightly and smoothly communicate why I was there and not Marcy. And so I rehearsed my greeting because I didn't want to be awkward. I, I do that. I think about questions and things. Hi, I'm Marwan, Noah's dad. Marcy and Noah's little brother are sick, and so they couldn't come today, right? We're good. I'm ready. We go to the party, and I say, hi, I'm Noah's mom. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not his mom. I'm his dad. I'm, what I meant to say was that Noah's mom, right? And I just kind of, and she was looking at me. She was like, okay, and here's the present, and we left early that night. Uh, that, was, that was a fun moment. I might have turned a bit red. I'm not sure. I, I, I remember that very clearly. Uh, now, I wish that was the only story of me fumbling over my words, but it isn't. Uh, it happens too often. Uh, I imagine it's the same for you because we all do it, except Jesus. Uh, I, I say that because there's sometimes words that Jesus uses that are strong. They're, they're hard words. They're difficult, but it's important for us to know that they are perfectly intentional. He doesn't mess up words like I did in that introduction or like we do in our lives. Right? We even heard some of these hard words when Randall read our passage. Hate your father and mother. Hate your own life. Carry your own cross or else you cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but there's always a temptation to soften these words because they're a bit strong. They're a bit maybe unpleasant. But we can't do that with God's words. The strong words are exactly right, and they are meant to reflect a serious matter. Now, what's a serious topic that we'll consider? Considering if the cost of following Jesus is worth it. Is following Jesus worth it? Now, the immediate response is a resounding, yes, of, of course, he's worth it. But then a follow-up might be, wait a minute, what cost? Isn't salvation free? Isn't this whole good news thing about God's grace and, and his love for us, isn't that why it's good news? One pastor said it this way, salvation is both absolutely free and yet costs your very life. Now how does that work? That's what we'll consider together this morning. And we'll see that Jesus will clearly ask anyone who wants to follow him to consider the costs before they do so. We must, as John Calvin said, consider beforehand what the profession of the gospel demands. So what does the gospel demand? What does following after Jesus require? How do we count the cost? Is any of this worth it? Now, what I hope that we'll see together 
this morning is that the cost is high, and yet his worth is infinite. Friends, Jesus is incomparable. Let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, help us to see Jesus. Show us his great worth. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, our passage begins by telling us that many people were following Jesus, right? They're, they would travel from town to town, village to village, and so they're following him. And this parable, this teaching that Jesus, uh, that Jesus gives them is a response to their following him, right? Jesus wanted to be clear about what true following looks like, what, what it really means to be one of his followers. And that's because what they were doing wasn't truly following. These crowds largely wouldn't have been considered true disciples. Now, before we even get started into the text, there's an immediate takeaway for us. You can be an untrue follower of Jesus. Right? A person can say they're following Jesus, but it could be a superficial following. You can be a fake disciple, and these crowds largely were. They were following Jesus for things, healing, miracles, food, provision. They are hoping that he would uh, conquer and kind of uh, take control, and, and so they're, they're, they're seeking a new king, an earthly king. Right? It's similar to the parable of the two brothers that we looked at last week, if you're with us. Remember that they were, they were both after the father for the things that they could get from the father. They, they weren't after the father for the father himself. They, they, they didn't care much about that relationship. They wanted his things. And so this is a real and serious warning for us this morning. Are you truly following Jesus? Now, the, the crowds thought they were. They weren't intentionally being false disciples. They, they just never thought much about it. Now, Jesus is aware that some never consider what it takes to follow him. And as soon as something hard or unexpected comes, they'll stop following. Now, we'll see that Jesus gives us three categories uh, that people will stumble over when following him. Three categories that people don't count the cost of. And if they don't choose Christ above these areas... The text tells us, Jesus himself tells us, that they can't be his disciple. He directly tells us all what the cost is, what it takes to follow him, and then he gives us two examples to help us consider how we count the cost. And the examples are of a building and a battle. Now, I imagine he mentions these two things as examples because both often are more costly than a person thinks they are at the beginning. If you have your Bible, you can look with me to Luke 14, verses 28 to 30. It's also in your bulletin, or you can follow along on the screen. Luke 14, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man has started to build, 
and wasn't able to finish. Now, I can't tell you, well, I think I can tell you from experience that the construction of this church cost a bit more than we originally expected and a lot longer than the original completion date. Uh, let's just say that, that we had hopes to celebrate last Christmas here. That's, that was a bit of uh, an overreach. Maybe that was an optimistic. So we said, by Easter. And that wasn't accurate either. We missed that. We're in now, thankfully. But it's clear to see that if you don't count the cost, you might not finish what you started. Let's look at the other example. Verse 31 and 32. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Notice with me, that this example is about having thought through a battle before entering it. If you don't, if you don't think you're going to win, after you've considered the cost, what's the point of doing it, right? It's, it's very logical. It's very rational. Just even in my, in my preparation, uh, I looked through a list of the deadliest wars and battles, which was really it was horrific to think of how many billions have lost their lives in fighting against one another. And I think part of the cost that one considers before going to war is, what am I willing to lose? Is it worth getting this extra bit of land if I lose a third of my population? Right? It, you're called to consider. The, the, the point is, you have to think through these things. It, it's, it's a warning not to proceed before counting the cost. The imagery that comes to mind when we read, sit down and decide, is, is that it's not a rash decision. It's not emotional. Right? Sit down. Take your time. Consider everything before you take that step forward. If you don't, you may not finish what you've begun. And it seems that this is teaching it would be better to have never started than to begin and not complete. Right? You'd be ridiculed as a builder and you would fail as a king. Now, if you're here Regularly, you'll have likely heard me say that it's important for us to ask questions of the text that we're reading. It helps us to understand it rightly. It helps us to get deeper into the passage. And so one question I asked was, why wouldn't a builder have considered how much it costs? Right? How could a king go into a battle unprepared? 10,000 against 20,000, that's not close. That's a huge difference. And I think the answer is that they didn't have all the information. I can see the builder being told that building a tower is the best. Everyone's doing it. It's much cheaper than buying something. You can customize your tower. They might have been told that it wouldn't cost so much, and so the limited information the, the builder had, he said, okay, let's do it. I want to do it. That sounds great. I can imagine a king who was told how great an army he has. They could win any battle. Or he's being flattered, and yet he believed it. He heard that he could increase his wealth and his land, and so he decided to do it. Why would someone follow Jesus without counting the cost? Right, these are examples given to help us consider whether we should follow Jesus. I think similarly, they were probably never told the costs. 
They probably didn't hear a full gospel. They might have been told something similar to the builder or to the king. Told that by believing in Jesus, all their troubles would go away. They would go to heaven, live forever, and even have riches here on earth. Would anyone say no to such an offer? Wait, I can get all that for nothing? Sure. Yes, I'd like that. I'll take two, right? I mean, it's... it's... Now, here's the great warning. Here is why counting the cost is so important. I'm going to read it uh, straight from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It's not going to be on the screen. You're welcome to turn there or just listen as I read it. The author of Hebrews writes, For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. It's a huge passage and a huge portion of Scripture that we as a church will get to eventually as we work through the book of Hebrews somewhere between 2025 and 2026. I think that's, that's the plan as of now. But briefly, let me just summarize J.C. Ryle here. In commenting on this Hebrews passage, he asks, what can you tell such a person? What doctrine, right, what teaching, what biblical truth can you show him or her that they haven't already heard? And I'll quote him here. He has not sinned in ignorance like many. He has gone away from Christ with his eyes open. He has sinned against a known and not unknown God. There's a warning. Someone who starts but doesn't finish sounds a lot like the second and third soils from our first parable in this series. And if you remember, they weren't true believers. They were false professors. The crowds were largely like this. It's like cheering on a sports team while they're winning and change teams the moment that they lose. Should I ask for a raise of hands to see if, if you do that? I think we all do that, right? This isn't the same. This is more serious. And yet we treat it as we treat anything else, don't we? Or at least there's a, there's a temptation. And so here, friends, is the warning again. If you don't count the cost, then you haven't truly understood who Christ is. And if you haven't truly understood Christ, then whatever belief you had in him was never true. Let me say that again. If you don't count the cost, then you haven't truly understood who Christ is. And if you haven't truly understood Christ, then whatever belief you had in him was never true. And so let's now consider the costs that Jesus lists. And as we work through these three categories, my prayer has been and is even now that we would see the surpassing value that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26, three areas. The first one covers family. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is what I was referring to in the beginning, right? Hate is a strong word. Jesus didn't say hate, but he really meant 
something else, right? No, he, this is intentional, right? It's just the right word. Now, please, especially if you're a visitor this morning, this isn't a call from me to you uh, that after the service you're to call your family and say, I just was at church, and I want to tell you how much I love Jesus and how much I hate you, <laughs> right? Please, please don't do that. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm calling you to, you to do, right? But what is, what is he doing? He's bringing before us an area that we love and we cherish often most in the world, and he's saying, you have to love me more. Friends, this is about comparison, and hate shows how big that comparison is, right? The love and loyalty that a true disciple has for Jesus must be to such a degree that when compared to the love they have for their own family, it would seem as if they hate their family. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's nice. That's good. That's helpful. But what does that look like in real life? Now, normally, there might not be conflict. Some of you might be listening to this and say, I've never had conflict with my family for following Jesus. They've been very supportive. Or they're all believers. That's wonderful. This isn't saying that you have to have conflict. But what if the time comes where you are put into a situation where you have to choose between family and Christ? Uh, a Christian young adult should seek to obey their parents in all things. If you are a place in life that you are under the authority of your parents and, and still living under their roof, this is your task. This is how you glorify God. But what if they're asking you to do something that goes against your faith in Christ. How do you respond? If you haven't counted the cost, you wouldn't even have considered any response. But we must be ready to obey Christ. And yet, how do you do it in respect and in submission to show them why you have to follow Christ? But relationships are, are difficult and tricky, especially with family. What if an unbelieving spouse tells you not to come to church anymore? or to stop reading your Bible. How can you respond? Now, it is important to sh and, and loving to show them that your ultimate allegiance and your greatest relationship is with Christ. Because if they don't see that, if you say, okay, I won't go to church, then whatever faith you have maybe isn't as important, right? So that this is a conversation that must happen. They don't see that. They won't understand why you even follow Jesus if you're, you're happy just to stop at any, any request. But how do you do it while still honoring them and honoring your vows to another? Right? There can be example after example, and some of you are in the middle of, of such difficult situations. If family pressures will keep you from following and obeying Jesus, then what this text is saying is that you have chosen your family over Christ. Jesus is saying this is a real-life struggle that you have to be prepared for. If you're not, you won't respond the way that a true disciple would. Verse 27, self. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And again, this carries over a bit from verse 26, uh, where we're called to hate our own life, right? You must bear your own cross. Now, the imagery here is of dying to yourself. Right? The call for the disciple of Christ is to die daily to yourself so that you can live daily for Jesus. 
we recognize that the life that we live is not our own, that we have been crucified with Christ. And the life that we now live, we live by faith through the Son of God who loved us and gave himself to us. Right? We need to remember that these words to carry and bear your own cross, that these words aren't as shocking to us as they would have been to the original hearers. The cross was an instrument of death, cruel and painful death, filled with shame, filled with suffering. The listening crowds must be thinking, this is, this is nuts, this is crazy. What is wrong with this guy? But I wonder if they, when they hear these words, or even you this morning, would hear the words of Jesus and think, who is this person who would demand so much? I know that he's loving and gracious. I've heard that of him and about him. And so what could he have in store for those who will give up even their own lives to follow him? Right? Who is this Jesus? Family, self, and now in verse 33 we'll consider things, right? Possessions. Look there with me. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Three times in this passage, Jesus says that if you don't give these things up, right, if you don't prioritize me above everything, and these three categories cover everything, he says you cannot be my disciple. Uh, there's a game that my boys, Noah and Shai, have been playing for weeks Maybe months. I don't know. It feels like it's been going on forever. Maybe they've played it with, with some of you. They'll present two things and ask what you would choose. Man City or Barcelona? Liverpool or Arsenal? I mean, it comes out of nowhere this morning. Good morning, Baba, and ask me two questions. Right, Argentina or Brazil? Okay, that's, that's the wrong answer, but it's okay. Netherlands or Mexico? Mercedes or Audi? Bugatti or Lamborghini? Lamborghini Huracan or Lamborghini a Lamborghini? It doesn't stop. At this point, they know more about cars and sports than I do. I didn't even know there were so many models of Lamborghinis. But this comparison game, I think, could serve us well. Family or Jesus? Marriage or Jesus? Money or Jesus? Work or Jesus? pleasures or Jesus. Now let me ask you, church, which of these comparisons make you hesitate a bit? Which of these comparisons kind of say, I don't know about that one. That's, that one will be hard. That one will hurt. Friend, that is the exact spot. That, that is exactly what Jesus wants from you. Now please know this isn't cruel. This isn't a game. Jesus is freeing you from the things of this world, the things that are keeping you from your greatest love, from your greatest life that lasts forever. Now here's where we start to bring this teaching and this sermon together. Counting the cost means that you know something about value. Let me say that again. Counting the cost means that you know something about value. How do you choose between a Toyota and a Ferrari if you don't know the difference? Right? You have to have categories of value. I, I love 
the short parables in Matthew about the treasure and the pearl. And it was hard for me to have this series put together without considering those two. Those are maybe my favorites. They come from the book of Matthew. One tells of a man who found treasure in a field. He found it. He reburied it. Then he went and sold everything that he had so that he would buy the field so that the treasure that was in that field would be his. The other is of a merchant who was in search for fine pearls. And then, in his search, he finds a priceless one, a pearl of great worth. What does he do? He sells everything he has to buy the pearl. You see, counting the cost means seeing the value that is Jesus Christ. You, you might have heard my repetition early in the sermon where I said a couple of times, do you have what it takes to follow Jesus? Do you have what it takes to follow Jesus? And I hope your answer is, I don't have what it takes. Because that's the right answer. Friends, you can't have what it takes to be a true follower of Christ. The point is to see that it's costly, to see that you don't have what it takes, and yet to see that he's worth it all. And, and here's what it comes down to. Please don't miss this. It's, it's not about you having enough, because you don't. It's about seeing Jesus as enough. It's, it's not about you having enough. It's not about you having what it takes. It's about seeing Jesus as enough. And when you've seen Jesus as enough, when you've seen him as everything, when you've caught a glimpse of his surpassing worth, then you have counted the cost. And you know that there is no comparison. You count it all as lost because you see that the family that Jesus has brought you into, you see the life that he has given you, true living, free from sin, and you see that everything he has is yours, and so we gladly give up. Like that man searching for a treasure, he found a treasure in the field, he sold everything when he found the treasure. Now, this isn't to say that difficulties won't come because they certainly will. But you've already set your heart and your life on him and when you do that, he will keep you to the very end. If you don't know Christ in this way, please hear me when I say that he is available to you. Jesus can be known and he can be experienced. And, and when you see his surpassing value and worth, there will be nothing that he could ask of you that you wouldn't gladly give. Not begrudgingly. Not, oh, Jesus, why would you ask? It's all yours. I, I have nothing apart from you. And so there's this joy in laying down our lives. Why? Because to count the cost means that you've understood what he has given up for you. When, when Jesus calls you to bear your cross and to die to yourself, he does that as the one who died himself. Now, he can ask that of you and of me because he's God. It's important for us to remember that he is in the heavens and we're not. But he calls you to do it as a friend. He calls you to follow him as the one who laid down his life for you. You see, it's through his sacrificial death that any of us 
can have life. And when we see that there is no life apart from Christ, when we see that apart from Christ, all there is is death and condemnation, then we have begun to see his great worth. When we trust in his finished work and trust that he alone can make us right before God, then we begin to see his incomparable value. When we understand that true life is found in Christ alone, brothers and sisters, we will gladly lay down our life, our family, and our possessions to the only one who deserves all praise and glory and honor. Friend, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, as, as the one who came from heaven to die so that you would have life, I pray that you do that today. I pray that you do that even now. That even though none would go with you, I pray that you would still follow. Now, as we close out our passage, what's this part about salt? What's, what's this all about, verses 34 and 35, right? It seems out of place, but it brings this teaching all together. Let's read that together. Now, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Friends, can you imagine knafe without cheese? And the whole church said, never, right? How about tabbouleh without parsley? I know in some parts of the world, in the West, they try to serve tabbouleh without parsley, and it's uh, blasphemous. All right, take your favorite dish and remove the main ingredient. It's no longer that dish, right? It's the same with salt. That's not salty. It's worthless. And so... If salt isn't salty, then you can't use it to enhance flavor. You can't, as, as examples here, you can't use it as a preservative or, or as a fertilizer. But how does salt lose its saltiness? Only when it's corrupted. It doesn't expire, as far as I know. But when it's corrupted, when it's mixed with other things, when it's diluted in water, it begins to lose its saltiness. It doesn't have the effect that it, it's meant to have. And so why at the end of this teaching about counting the cost? In the same way, when a follower of Christ is corrupted by the cares of this world, and when they haven't counted the cost of following him, when they haven't seen the surpassing value in Jesus Christ, they are like salt. That's not salty. They're not true disciples. They're worthless. But those who have counted the cost and are truly and joyfully following Jesus, we've heard Christ say, and we see that reference of it here, that they are the salt of the earth. Now for those cooks in the room, you know what that's like. Sometimes a dish is just off. But all it needs is the right amount of salt. And isn't it incredible that when it's just salted just right, it's, it's perfection. Salt enhances every, enhances every flavor, every ingredient is brought to life. It can make the dish. And that's how the church is described. Friends, that's how we're supposed to be in this world. 
when we rightly and truly follow Jesus, which means that we've counted the cost and we've considered his surpassing value, then the church brings life and flavor to the world. It preserves what is good. It brings growth where things have faded away. I pray that we would be this kind of church, that we would be good and life and flavor for our city, that we would reflect the goodness and beauty of Jesus and that the way we follow Jesus would draw others to follow him too. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the difficult words and yet how you speak them with grace, that you give us grace to receive your word and to hear your word. God, help us. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are in a place like this isn't enough or this, we don't have enough or it's too difficult. Father, help us to see that you are enough, that you have accomplished it all. And from that love, would we be driven to give up our very lives for you and for your cause because we recognize that we have no life apart from you. We thank you, Father God. Would you do the work that only you can do through the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.